My Car Guru, Season 11, Episode 38. Hello, thank you for calling My Car Guru. Press 1 if you want to listen to My Car Guru. Press 2 if you don't want to listen to My Car Guru. If you press 2, goodbye. If you pressed 1, the real Lenny Lawson will be with you momentarily. Okay, here I am. Don't you just hate those things, auto attendants? You know why businesses do that? It's so that they don't have to hire an operator. Because operators are human beings. And, you know, if you can buy a system like that that costs you $1,500 with the technology that we have today, probably a lot less than that. And uh, you don't have to ever pay them again. You just re-record just like that. You know, we use an auto attendant at Gateway Ford and Gateway Nissan, but only when somebody fails to pick up the phone in a certain amount of time or on Saturdays or after hours because we do not have a telephone operator here on Saturdays. So you'll have to excuse me for that. But, yeah, you know, I, I have been through some phone trees the last 24 hours and sat there on hold forever. You know, I've got an American Express card. I've had one since 1981. And used to, if you called American Express, bam, you got somebody. And they could speak English really well. Matter of fact, they were probably from America. But now, it's not that way. And um, I'm kind of disappointed. You call Marriott, just about any hotel. Uh, there's a lot of, um, I'm trying to think what other businesses I've had to deal with lately. Just any big corporation. I mean, it's always press this, press that. You get to the seventh choice. And then they finally said, press zero for operator. I wish they had just told me that at the beginning. Oh, well, enough complaining. We just met with our uh, Nissan rep. Uh, just to, actually finished the meeting just a few minutes ago before I came in here. And it was about Nissan buy at home. So if you go to Nissan's website and you, I guess, click on the buy at home button, you're not really buying a car. You're just kind of starting through the process of buying a, a car. But the beauty of it is you can do it all online. You don't ever have to look at our ugly faces. You can actually do the transaction. You can have do the financing. You, can, uh, you can't test drive the car, you know, because you can't do that virtually. You know, even though Formula One race car drivers, they can race cars virtually. They have these simulators that are very, very lifelike, lifelike. And, uh, but you can't do that. It's not wise to do that. You need the real thing. So that's why I recommend going to a car dealership and, you know, fighting off the wolves and trying to uh, get, get it to where you can just test drive the car and enjoy yourself in a relaxed fashion. I'll tell you how to do that, though. Uh, the best way to, to handle that is when a salesperson approaches you, just say, hello, sir. I uh, appreciate you coming up to me, and I am here to test drive some vehicles. I am not, let me repeat that, I am not going to buy a car today. Doesn't matter what you do. Doesn't matter if you're going to sell it for $5. I'm not buying it today. I'm just driving cars, and but I'm going to buy one. So treat me, treat me nice and, you know, show me everything about the car. But please don't try to pressure me to buy the car today because if you do, I'll shut you down and go buy from someplace else. Do I need to say all that again so you can write it down? 
You know, you, you get the, the gist of my conversation, though, right? You don't have to be rude. Just tell them like it is, and hopefully they'll accept that. And uh, so the, before you leave, though, they might want you to talk to a manager. Just, you know, they, he wants to get his, his words in so that uh, at least he won't get yelled at by the general manager for letting a solid prospect walk out the door. And they will follow up with you. Even if you are, you know, buying something online, you, you'll get bombarded with emails. And that is typically their automated system that's doing that. Sometimes it's a real person. We use a real person at Gateway. Yes, we have a real live telephone operator Monday through Friday. We're closed on Sunday. On Saturday, we fall back on the auto attendant, the robot lady. But uh, during the week, we're here. And then also our BDC, which is that's an acronym for Business Development Center, She's the one that handles all of the internet leads. So if you inquire about a vehicle at Gateway and you send in your name and address, it's going to be Katie that's following up with you. And, it, and Katie has two backups that uh, back her up on her day off and, and after hours. So it's always going to be a live human being, although you will get some emails, some follow-up emails and stuff like that. Uh, you know, people are at different stages, when they shop on online for, for cars. I guess it's probably true when you shop online for everything. You, you kind of look around first. Sometimes I'll just go on Amazon and see if there's a new Lego that I want to build. I just got a Formula One McLaren. Then I know, it's weird. A 66-year-old building Lego cars. You can blame my granddaughter for that. She got me hooked on it. But it's fun to do while you're sitting there watching reruns of Andy Griffith and things like that. Anyway, I'm going to take my first break. I'll be back here in just a second. Okay, why am I here? Why are you here? Well, I'll tell you why, because hopefully you learn something about cars and business or customer relations and things that uh, can help you run your business better if you own a business. If you don't own a business, you work for a business, maybe. Uh, you might be able to give them some ideas about how to improve their business. How about buying a business? Have you ever bought one? You ever bought an existing entity? I bought several. Um, started off with a Chevy store, and then we got the Mazda franchise. Now, when getting a franchise is different than setting up a business and setting up a, in our case, back then was a C corporation. Um, we've done it differently in recent years. Uh, we bought an Oldsmobile dealership one time and rolled it into our Chevy store. Uh, we bought a Chrysler Plymouth Dodge dealership one time. That was back in 1985. And um, eventually sold it and made such a good profit on it, we used it to pay our, a huge down payment on our new Chevy building back in 1989. We bought a, a Mitsubishi. Well, we had a dealership and got another franchise, a Mitsubishi franchise. We moved it in with our Mazda franchise after we split Mazda off from our Chevy franchise. Doesn't that sound complicated? Uh, we bought a corporation. This is the first time I'd ever bought a corporation. Before, we just bought the assets of a corporation or a car dealership. You know, you do it one of two ways. You either buy all their parts and equipment and pay them for the cars that they have in inventory. And then you know, if the, the company has really good value, it's been in business a long time, it probably has something they, what they call blue sky, which is just 
the value of the business itself. It's not anything. It's just fluff, you know, and it's it's their reputation. You know, my dealership right now is worth a whole lot more than just the asset value. It's because, you know, it's a Ford dealership in a good market and a Nissan dealership in a good market. And, um, you know, there's there's value. Sometimes, uh, well, at one time, the, the formula was like uh, two or three times earnings as far as a blue sky number was concerned. And now it's way more than that. Car dealerships have really gotten expensive. And there's a lot fewer of us than there used to be. And, and many of us are now owned by corporate entities. Mine isn't. Mine's owned by me. But it's still a corporation, so you have to decide, um, you know, what what you're going to be. Most car dealerships, well, all car dealerships are a corporate entity. It protects the owners in in multiple ways. We won't get into that. I bought a Chevy store in North Carolina one time. We bought a Toyota dealership with partners. But you know, every single time was uh, that we bought a new store or bought a uh, or acquired a new franchise. There was a almost identical processes that you have to go through. You know, if you're starting a business, you know, you've got to get the foundation right or the rest of it won't be right. Um, You know, once you know what your product or service is going to be, very important to find out if there's a real market for it. Think of how many businesses have failed because, boy, they just thought it was a great idea. Honey, don't you think we ought to open a bicycle shop? Don't you think? Don't we love riding bicycles? Well, let's open a bicycle shop. Well, there's just no market for it. You know, everybody's in wheelchairs or, you know, they. you just don't have anybody there that really wants to buy it. There's no good place to ride bicycles in your market. You know, you got to do the research and make sure that there is a market for it. You also have to know who your competitors are. I mean, I was, I was thinking about buying a business one time, and uh, – I looked out and and saw that there was just way too much competition. There were, I mean, this guy was surviving not by selling uh, lots of equipment. He was surviving because of his service that he was doing. Well, when he left, then the reputation of the business was gone, so it wasn't worth buying. So you got to make sure that that you have all your ducks in a row, as my dad used to say. Um, so you know who, know who your competitors are, and you have all this written up in a business plan. You know, if you've if you're starting a business, most, well, if you're going to borrow money from a bank, they're going, to, they're going to want to see a business plan. And they're going to want to see a forecast of what you anticipate uh, doing. Now, if the business has a track record, you can get the previous financial statements for in like three or four years and, and show that, show what the business has been doing. And then uh, what they call a pro forma is, is what do you think it's going to do in your first four, full year of operations? You know, I've had to do that with a car dealership. They want to see five years. Um, I'm looking at a business right now, thinking about buying it, and and uh, I don't want to set up a credit line. I don't really need to set up a credit line, but that's just part of the process. They make you do that, and so they they just want to see two years uh, from a pro forma standpoint. What what do I think the business is going to do in two years? Uh, you know, once you have all that and you have a business plan down pat, what, the way you think this thing's going to run, I would get somebody to look at it that is a really good business person. Uh, somebody, I think sometimes it's good to let a banker put their eyes on, especially a banker that has financed companies like the one you're thinking about going into. They have some pretty valuable advice. 
And, uh, you know, once they understand your concept, many times they'll be more, I guess, more willing to participate with you, you know, to provide credit lines and so forth. Sometimes you got to sell them, though. There's no doubt about that. You know, and the, the second thing you have to do is is decide what, what type of structure are you going to be? Are you going to be just a, a, a sole proprietor? Like the business I'm looking right now is a, is a sole proprietorship. In other words, is just an individual, and whatever his business makes, that's considered his income, and he deducts his business expenses and stuff like that. But that's um, that, that's different than than setting up a corporation. Now, when my dad bought the Chevy dealership in Greenville, Tennessee, he, he formed a C corporation. That was a big big uh, thing for General Motors back then. They didn't have well, they might have had sub S corporations, but a C corporation is you know where you. Um, you own stock in the corporation. Uh, the corporation owns the, runs the business and, and uh, you know, basically owns the assets of the business. And then the shareholders, which would be, you know, it could be one person like my dad was, or it could be multiple people. And then they each own shares of stock. At one time, I was partners with uh, uh, two other gentlemen in a dealership, and uh, two of us owned 40% of the business, and one of us, or the other guy, owned 20% of the business. So you can set it up any way you want to. The bad thing about a C corporation is that you have this double taxation. So the corporation has to pay tax, income tax, and then the people who work for it, like um, it, I may own the stock in the corporation, but I'm also an employee of the corporation, so I get a W-2 for the income that I make working for the corporation. So the corporation pays corporate tax, then I pay taxes on my personal income. Now, if you form a sub-S corporation, it's it's treated differently. Um, the income of the corporation is the same as your personal income, and you just divide it among the um, shareholders in the, in the company. You may have heard of an LLC. It's a similar type of setup. It's a corporation. You still have the, the uh, corporate veil, as they call it. It is a kind of a shields the shareholders from liability unless they really, really misbehave. You know, if a corporation goes down the tubes, then the corporation can file bankruptcy or uh, different forms of bankruptcy, and it, it doesn't create a situation where the shareholders have to file bankruptcy as well. Um, that's not always the case, but it's often the case. But LLCs are another way to avoid the double taxation of a regular corporation. Okay, so you're buying a company. You know, you know, you know what your product or service is. You know how you're going to set it up. Then you need to have some type of a buy-sell agreement. You know, this is where a lot of deals fall apart. Is people unfortunately can't trust other people. You know, you've got to document stuff. I saved myself one time with good documentation on a buy-sell agreement, and um, you know, because I had that the people who sold it to me who had not fulfilled their end of the bargain uh, weren't able to do anything. Um, they, they looked at had lawyers look at the buy-sell agreement, but it was ironclad. And so they were forced to, to live up to the agreement. So, so important to have a... Um, and then by, basically the buy-sell agreement just lays out all the stipulations of the, of the contract. If you're buying a company and, for example, they have a million dollars worth of inventory, then the buy-sell agreement might state that uh, an independent third party has to do a, an inventory of that, and then whatever it comes out, then that's what you pay, the cost of that inventory. 
Um, you may may even have somebody when it, when it comes to equipment, same thing. Somebody looks at the equipment, puts a value on it, and that's what you have to have to pay for it. Uh, buy sell agreements can have all kinds of other terms. It's basically whatever you want to put into it that the other party will agree to. And then once you form an LLC, you have to have some type of operating agreement. They require, uh, require well, any type of corporation requires a charter and bylaws. And the bylaws are those um, rules that the corporate, basically that the corporation must operate under. I won't get into a bunch of details, but, you know, it talks about uh, how the stock is distributed, what the rules are for owning and selling stock. You know, I've if you buy a car dealership and you have three partners, then if one partner gets upset and wants to leave, what can he do with his stock? It's really hard to sell a minority interest in in a business because you know you really don't have any say. Uh, you can take part in the distribution of earnings, but if the 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 person who controls the majority of stock doesn't want to di- distribute earnings, you're out of luck. So, you know, you have to, to uh, stipulate things like if somebody wants to get out, then what's the process for them to get out? Can they sell it to a third party or do they have to sell it to the stock back to the corporation or do the other shareholders get first right of refusal, that kind of stuff? So it is, it's kind of interesting to see how these uh, things are drawn up. But it's so, so important to do that. I don't care how small your business is. You know, if you're going to into business with your best friend, one way to make them not your best friend is to not have good rules, not have it all written down. And if they say, well, don't you trust me? You know, my dad used to say, Lenny, good fences make good neighbors. I've said that here very many times. And, and to me, that means get everything in writing. Uh, it just protects everybody. And, and maybe somebody will still get their feelings hurt, but that's a, it's a good way to do it. You know, you issue stock. Everybody has their stock certificates. You put it in a safe deposit box, and then you got to operate the thing. And um, of course, you can't operate until you register with the state. And make sure you you're very careful picking the name of the corporation. I got sued for three hundred thousand dollars one day. Just appeared in the mail, certified letter. I was being sued because I had called uh, a business of mine. It was a used car lot. I had called it Car Smart, and you may have heard it. Well, if you in around East Tennessee, you may have heard of Car Smart. I don't know, but that was the name of our business. We ran that business as Car Smart for about eleven years until I got this letter. And there, apparently, there is a dealer in Middle Tennessee that had registered, um, a copyrighted the name Car Smart, and registered with the state of Tennessee, and he was suing me for. Oh, gosh, I don't remember what the basis of the $300,000 was. But I was quite in shock. And so I, I wasn't going to go through the, the attorney or my attorney. I just called his attorney. I said, okay, what can we do about this? And he said, well, we can settle, you know, but he's, not, he's upset that using the name. I said, I, I didn't know that the name was taken. Well, you should have checked, and that is true. So don't call a business Billy Bob's bicycle shop unless you know that there's no other Billy Bob's bicycle shop that's a registered trademark because you could get sued. So there's all kinds of things that people can sue you over, but that's just one 
Okay, what else? Oh, you got to get your sales tax ID number. That's part of getting a registering with the state. You got to be registered with the state or you can't operate. You got to get your local business license with the city and county. See, isn't all this so very easy? You just thought getting into business just to breeze. You know, you put up a sign and rent a building and start selling stuff. Well, that's just not the way it works. You know, you got to capitalize the business. What does that mean? You know what capitalize the business? It means that you've got to put money into the business so that it can operate. It's one thing to buy a business, to buy their assets, to buy, you know, pay for their blue sky value. It's totally something different to capitalize the business so that it can operate. The general standard as far as cash on hand is about two to three months uh, worth of expenses in cash that you have in the bank. But that's after you fund your inventory and you figure out what kind of receivables you're going to have. So if you're going to have a lot of money tied up in money that people owe you for stuff that they bought, those are called receivables, then you better account for that because receivables can suck up a lot of cash in a hurry, especially in the car business. When you're waiting on warranty claims to be paid, uh, you're waiting on contracts for cars that you sell to be funded. You sell 10 cars in, in like one day. I mean, that could be... Well, I mean, since you have to pay off the cars that you sold, you could be paying off $250,000 worth of cars with no money coming in. You have to wait on it until the bank funds the contract. So this is where most businesses fail is they run out of money. They run out of cash to be able to operate, and you certainly don't want that to happen. Okay, I'm going to take my last break. I'll be back in just a minute. All right, so running a business, starting a business, is not for the faint of heart. You just got to be prepared going in. And there are all kinds of business consultants out there that will help you get started. You know, you can go online and download buy-sell agreements and operating agreements. But I, I recommend finding you a good corporate lawyer if you're thinking about doing this, somebody that you can sit across from and strategize with. Yes, it costs more money. But you know, you want to get this right. You only have one chance to build the foundation for this business that you're getting ready to, to open. You want to make sure that you do it the right way. Well, I hope you've gotten something out of this. I know it's not about cars. Sometimes I will go astray and talk a little bit about business or business philosophy or philosophy in general. But uh, there's somebody needed to hear this today, and I firmly believe that, and I hope that it is beneficial. If you have any questions about this or anything about cars in general, just give me a call, 423-552-2020, or send me an email to LennyLawson2020 at gmail.com, and I'll talk to you tomorrow for another edition of My Car Guru.